0: I want to tell you about the Loudun possessions, uh, an affair in 17th century France that resulted in the horrific execution of a French priest, Urbain Grandier, uh, for facilitating the demonic possessions of nuns in the French town of Loudun. Uh, Grandier was burnt at the stake for witchcraft after a convent full of nuns started having visions and shouting and swearing and doing all sorts of other un-nun-like stuff, and uh, Grandier was blamed for it. However, this whole thing was very likely just a cleverly disguised bit of political persecution, because Grandier was on the wrong side of France's powerful chief minister, Cardinal Richelieu, and also on the wrong side of a bunch of people in the town of Loudon, as as we'll discuss. This is a tale of intrigue and conspiracy involving all sorts of deliciously outrageous and scandalous details like this libertine priest and his licentious relations with Loudon's women. The demonic possession of this convent full of nuns and, on top of that, an ongoing political debate about the demolition of some city walls, which, you know... Doesn't get much racier than that. Anyway, a great big merci bouquet goes to Elena Hernas, listening from France, who sent in the Loudon possessions as a topic suggestion uh, after hearing, after listening to the episode about the Beast of Gervardin, episode 81, get across it, another tale of the supernatural from La France. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's meet our character, our main character here, Urbain Grandier, born around 1590, grew up to become a parish priest in Loudon. And would you have a look at this bloke? Holy moly, here he comes now bloody handsome fella isn't he and not just that he's from money he's well educated this is not the sort of bloke you want to bring home to meet your parents because he'd probably shag your mum and to be honest he'd probably shag your dad as well while he's at it grandier was a very popular priest his sermons were articulate they were expressive and uh the townsfolk some of them were very big fans of his work in the pulpit and uh Some of the town folk, for that matter, were also uh, very big fans of his work. Outside the pulpit, too, because this bloke was said to have slept his way through half the women in Loudon. Grandier got about. He was intelligent, he was eloquent, he was rich, and he was an absolute hunk. So who can blame anyone for hopping into bed with him? Well, unfortunately, the fathers, brothers, and particularly husbands of the women with whom he was bumping uglies, they took a rather dim view of this behaviour, uh, and to be honest, making enemies seems to have been uh, another thing that Grandier was very bloody good at. And not just because he was, you know, running these mattress marathons with all these women, uh, although that did lead him to get thrashed with a cane by an angry male relative out in the street one time, the the wages of sin. Um, no, no. Other priests and monks also didn't like Grandier. They envied his success and his popularity as a preacher, so much so that he was brought by them in front of an ecclesiastical court to answer for his debaucherous behavior. They weren't willing to turn a blind eye to it. And this resulted in Grandier being banned from preaching in Loudun. although luckily he had this overturned on appeal. But he didn't make things easy for himself with the clergy. Not only did he go about very obviously flouting the celibate lifestyle that priests were supposed to hold themselves to, he also made all sorts of new enemies uh, when he wrote a book about how priests should be allowed to root people just like anyone else could. Now, Grandier, mate, you're absolutely right, of course, but bloody hell, read the room, would you? On top of all this, however... Um, he even managed to get into the the bad books of that that bloke that I mentioned before, right? Chief Minister Cardinal Richelieu, who was a very, very powerful man in French politics at the time. And uh, the reason that he got on the wrong side of Richelieu is because um, in order to consolidate and centralise political power in, in Paris, right, under the crown, Richelieu wanted to demolish Loudon's uh, town walls and defences. This would obviously make the town more reliant on the French crown for protection, which would increase royal power. It's part of a a wider effort to consolidate royal power and it also had a lot to do with the ongoing Protestant-Catholic thing. But we're not getting into all that. Suffice to say, specifically in Ludong, uh, Grandier's uh, opposition to the demolition of these walls and his sway with the town folk from the pulpit meant that he ended up in Richelieu's bad books, right? So we've got a handsome... Popular priest, who's pissing people off by, one, rooting half the town, and two, standing in the way of the king. With this established, the stage is now set for us to talk about these possessions. In 1632, one of the nuns at an Ursuline convent in Loudun claimed that she had started having visions of the dead. And before long, other nuns echoed this, saying that they too had had similar visions. And from there, things got worse, according to the nuns. They said that these visions worsened, and as they did, the nuns began bathing extremely erratically and making all sorts of claims. They they said they saw skeletons roving around the convent, and that a giant black orb had taken to floating through its corridors. Um, Honestly, this sounds like a dungeon from Skyrim, to be honest, but that's what they were saying. They would shout and scream and shriek and swear. Their heads would rotate all the way around. They'd walk on all fours. But- the wrong way, um, you know, with like their bellies facing up or or your standard possession stuff. You know how it goes. But then, worst of all, the nuns began to claim that they were receiving visitations from foul demons from the underworld as Medeus himself had revealed himself unto them and had committed all sorts of immodest and indecorous acts as Medeus was said, to be possessing these women, making them do all sorts of things that, well, there's um, there's a lot of very instructive reference material that you can find for yourself uh, online. I mean, well, uh, not, not that I would know personally. This, this is just what I've heard, right? My, 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 my friends tell me about this sort of thing. That is, again, no personal experience on my behalf. I, I, I've got my very carefully cultivated family-friendly image to think about here. So, <clears throat> yes, in any case, in any case. Um these possessions, uh, these possessions also happened to come along at a time when Cardinal Richelieu had sent a bloke named Jean de Lobandemont, uh, specifically to begin work on demolishing the town walls, which of course Grandier is still loudly opposing. Now, Le Bain-de-Mont, he failed to demolish the walls this time around, the town militia stopped him. So he was given a new task while he was in Loudon. Uh, by Richelieu, he was asked to, please and thank you, investigate this whole possessions business. And would you believe it, with Baudemont investigating, it wasn't too long before fingers started being pointed in the direction of, yes indeed, his boss's old enemy, poor old Grandier. So Grandier, right, who, as, as we've said, pissed off much of the town folk by sleeping with their daughters and wives, who has pissed off the clergy with his licentious book about how priests need a root every now and again, too. He's also made these enemies in high places by standing the way of the power centralisation process and, as a result, is looking like a terrific scapegoat here for this whole possession business, which, conveniently for Richelieu, will also get him out of the way when it comes to the whole town walls business. So... The nuns, under questioning from Le Bardemont and his investigators, they begin to lay, lay the blame for their possession at Grandier's feet. Further, all these witnesses start to emerge, saying that they had seen him hanging around the convent at all sorts of unusual times, um, and... Grandier's reputation as a bit of a lothario did nothing to help him shrug off these accusations. There were people who spoke up in his defence. He was still popular amongst uh, much of the town. Uh, But uh, Le didn't seem to listen to these people all that much. And as a result, it wasn't too long before poor old Grandier was arrested and further charged. Charged with sorcery, with the evil bewitchment of 17 poor young nuns. He was charged to have called forth loathsome denizens of the hells below to possess and torment these young women. Richelieu and Le Baltimore made sure there was no shortage of witnesses and evidence to damn Grandier, uh, while all the letters that were written in support of Grandier mysteriously disappeared and were never presented as evidence in his trial. Grandier himself, he asserted a very straightforward offence, one that in my view at least, probably more or less answers the questions of exactly what was going on with these nuns. His line of argument was thus. Um, They were faking it, which is, in my view, again, pretty watertight. But unfortunately for him back then, other people in the church with much longer titles and much fancier hats than he, they disagreed. They said that the possessions were indeed genuine, as had been the exorcisms that had followed them. So Grandier, honestly... He never had a chance. He was found guilty, and his sentence was absolutely horrific. Have a listen to this. The poor bastard. Firstly, he was tortured. Uh, he was tortured to make him give up the names of his accomplices. Uh, one of the torture methods used on him was the boot. Uh, one method that the boot involved was having your leg encased in tight-fitting material. Sometimes it was wood. Sometimes it was iron. Uh, this was the so-called boot. Uh, And then wedges were placed between your skin and the boot uh, and hammered in, which would, of course, start to crush your leg. More and more wedges would be hammered in until your bones snapped and your leg turned to jelly, which was not a pleasant experience. I don't need to tell you. And there were other boot torches as well. Uh, One of them involved having your foot placed in a large iron boot that was filled with water. Uh, And then the boot would be placed above a fire. So your foot would... Boil as the water heated, or just to save time, they would put this iron boot on you and then just pour the boiling water in straight away. Um, again, very much more much more efficient. Sometimes they even used oil or even lead, which was hoo boy, that was really yeah, just really lovely stuff all around. You'll agree. Paul Grandier, he was given the business, but um, not in the way that he was perhaps used to, um, and didn't give up the names of any of his accomplices. Uh, very likely because you know he didn't have any. But it only got worse from there because Grandier now faced execution. And uh, as you may know from previous episodes on witchcraft, episode 123, the Lancashire Witch Trials, and episode 245, uh, the Salem Witch Trials, get across them, witches were customarily and traditionally burnt at the stake. Now, Grandier was the beneficiary of one small mercy. While he would indeed be burnt at the stake, he would be hanged first. So by the time he wound up in flames, he'd be dead. Not much of a comfort, really, when you're being sent to the gallows for something as ridiculous as witchcraft, but that's what happened to poor old Grandier. He was strung up on the scaffold, the poor bastard, rope round his neck, the, the the pyre beneath him, and he was told to utter to the gathered crowd his last words. But as he tried to, the monks who were in attendance, perhaps the very same monks that he'd pissed off with his flashy popular sermons, They threw a bunch of holy water in his face so he couldn't say whatever it is that he wanted to say. And then to make things even worse, egged on by the crowd, one of the priests there leapt forward and set fire to the pyre before the executioner could hang Grandier. So he didn't receive this mercy after all. The executioner, who, after all, was there to do a job, he approached to try to quickly strangle Grandier with his bare hands to make sure the bloke was dead before he caught fire. But. It was no good. The fire engulfed poor Grandier, uh, made it all the way up to the rope, burnt it through, meaning that he fell into the pyre and was roasted alive. Roasted alive for the terrible crime of getting just a little too jiggy with it. And do you know the worst of it? the The very, very worst? Even after he was executed, these apparent possessions... They didn't stop. They continued amongst the nuns, but Richelieu seemed a lot less interested in them now. He didn't send Le Bordemont in once again to investigate now that Grandier was dead. And so historians today are in broad agreement. This whole thing was a colossal stitcher. Poor old Grandier, he was the he was the victim of, of a terrible injustice. And even back in the day, people knew this, right? In 1679, the famous English writer John Locke characterized the Loudon possessions as <clears throat> Nothing but a contrivance of Cardinal Richelieu to destroy Grandier. And historians and writers have ever since generally subscribed to this very same view. These possessions were a convenient excuse for Richelieu to do away with an inconvenient political obstacle. And I'm very sorry to say that, as far as I could tell, Richelieu also did away with another inconvenient political obstacle, as if you visit the town of Loudon today, you'll find that it really doesn't have very much left in the way of town walls.